At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. This is a special Best of Caller Questions Invest Talk compilation program. Remember, the Invest Talk phone lines never close. Please call with questions 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART. They will be played and answered on an upcoming Invest Talk podcast. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, 888-992-4278. Justin and Steve, Matt in South Florida, love the show. Wanted to ask a question about current CD rates, not something that, you know, in the past 10 years we've talked about much, but currently you can get, uh, for example, at Sally May, about a two and a half year, roughly a 27 month CD at 5%. So I guess my question for you guys is, you know, can you make a case at this point for why locking up for the next 27 months at 5% is not a good idea? I know that most experts have told investors to lower expectations for what the market will produce from instead of 8 or 9% to something like 6% for this decade in the 20s. So with that being the case and with the next year being very uncertain or maybe two years being very uncertain, is there a case to be made to not put a significant part of uh, investable funds into a 5% 27-month CD. Love to hear your take on it, and I'll listen uh, for your response on the podcast. Thank you. Well, as I think about it, I don't really have a problem with 5% for 22 months or so on a CD. You are going to, you know, inflation's running at six, so you're going to lose buying power. You're losing 1%. Um, you can buy uh, dividend paying stocks that pay higher than 5%, that are some of them pretty conservative. So I do like that. But, you know, a CD is really conservative, and there's no risk to the principal at all. So I don't have a problem with. A portion of your portfolio being put into a five percent CD. I, I really don't. If you're conservative and that's what you want, you the market will probably outperform that in the next twenty two months, in my personal opinion. Uh, but not the beginning of this year. Two thousand twenty four looks a lot healthier for the market, in my opinion. So uh, I'm not sure, you know. I would put my money away for that much that long of a time. I think I'd rather put it into into uh, treasuries. Personally speaking, they're much more liquid, and I don't I can sell them if I wanted to. Anyways, but no, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Okay. Hey, Stephen, Justin, it's Brian and Ruby up in Marin. Thanks for all that you do. Wanted to get your thoughts on how to play the current weakness in natural gas. Thanks. I would be a buyer. I think natural gas 
is here to stay. It's a fairly clean energy. It's not perfectly clean, but it's a lot cleaner than oil. And it's abundant here in the United States. And prices have been elevated. I think it's come down a little bit. But I think it's going to be still in huge demand going forward. I do. And we're, you know, we're, we're building LNG, liquid financial gas facilities in the Gulf states. And Europe is going to need our, our LNG. So they're going to need our natural gas. So I think it's got a good future ahead. I do. So I like natural gas. I think I take advantage of any weakness. I go buy some natural gas plays. That's what I would do. Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. Good morning, guys. Thank you for your show. I just have a question. Now that the rates are high for a traditional consumer time account, what would be the difference if I were to set up a brokerage CD versus a traditional CD? Meaning, you know, what would be the risk with the brokerage CD since there's no risk with the traditional CD? Thank you. I would I appreciate your answer. Thank you. Bye-bye. Difference? A whole lot of difference. There still certificates of deposit. There's still backed by the FDIC, but you get more selection. Basically, you're buying these through your broker, whether that's Fidelity or Schwab or TD Ameritrade, whatever. And oftentimes the rates are higher. You can sell them if you want to get your money out. So they're kind of like holding a bond. Okay. And that's those are the main differences. I don't think you should be favoring one over the other really it's more about what is that yield what is that maturity you can get a lot of longer maturity cds in the brokered space so i have no problem with them and and i, I kind of like that you can sell them in the secondary market if you need to get rid of them you know if interest rates drop you've locked in a, a longer term cd you probably sell them at a premium right so if you can find better yields and the right maturity date for you, broker CDs are just fine. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know Building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads surpassing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download, and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART.
You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hello, Justin and Steve. Raphael from Jersey. Been listening to the show for years. Love it. It's one of my absolute favorites, and I told dozens of people about it. Justin and Steve, I have a very serious question. It's my biggest concern, and it's about the U.S. dollar. My concern is that this second economic block that seems to be forming with the sole purpose of getting off the dollar, wouldn't that happening be dramatic impact for everybody that has U.S. dollar assets? I mean, wouldn't this be a cataclysmic event to have that happen? Because I'm pretty worried about it. I'd like you guys' opinion. Thank you. Bye. Well, the demand for dollars is broad-based and well-diversified. And that's what most people miss when they're looking at the dollar's reserve currency status. Now, the first thing I always say is, what's the alternative? There really isn't. If you're talking about a fiat currency whether that's Chinese Yuan, the Euro, whatever it is, no no country has the rule of law, the military, the global reach to usurp the dollar. So I don't think it's anything that is that another country can offer. And on top of that, you have a global financial system that is that has a lot of dollar-denominated debt. And how do you pay back that debt? Well, you pay it back with dollars. And what do you need? You need to pay those debts, right? If you have a mortgage, you can't show up to the bank and give them euros. Or you want. Or Swiss francs. You have to give them dollars. So if you get paid in some other currency, right, you have a job overseas, whatever, you have to move that currency into dollars. Exchange it. And so entities around the world have to do that. These aren't individuals, but they're corporations countries. And so it creates this natural demand for dollars. And so many commodities are priced in dollars, not just dollars, or sorry, not just oil. Everyone talks about the petro system. That's certainly a big part of it. But a lot of commodities are priced in dollars. And so when people try to say that there's this cataclysmic event, as you said. I just don't see that in the near term. Anytime soon, soon. Now, eventually, could that happen? Sure. Never say never. There's always, there's going to be a shift in the global financial system at some point. But it may not be in our lifetime. It needs to come from something that's, you know, a little, 
has a little more substance than Bitcoin, for example. So I, I understand your worry, but you have to understand the diversity of our global financial system. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Zero Cool 208 says, I have a 401k with a player match. Recently, I had a child and started a 529 plan and consistently investing in my own E-Trade. Question one, should I even bother investing extra income myself or have my current 401k account holder do it for me? Easy. Invest your up into your company match. Okay. Up into your company match. Then beyond that, if you want to save more for retirement, IRA, if you are eligible. Ideally, a Roth IRA, if you're eligible for that, if you don't have a super high income. And then if you can contribute to an IRA and take the write-off, I would do that as well. Make a lot of money, maybe doing a backdoor Roth, that's a good idea. But you really don't, you shouldn't invest more in your 401k past the company match until you've maxed out your IRA contributions. Then you can go back. If you have more than that, then you can go back and put it in, in, in your uh, in your 401k because you're outside of the 401k, you're going to have a lot more investment options, right? Your Vanguard 401k is going to be very limited in options, probably just index funds. So not the greatest choices. So you want to get uh, as much as you can outside of it, but you're never going to beat the company match. So you want to make sure you get that. Now, question two is, is it wise to double down on a stock when it's falling in a bear market? For example, I own Apple stock, but when it started trickling down to mid to 130s, I doubled down, making my average price per share go down. As I sit now, I'm faring well. Would you recommend this strategy for for select known companies that most likely will do well over the course of the long term? Well, the general rule is that when you're down, it means you're wrong, right? You bought the stock and you bought it too high because it went down. Now, everybody's wrong, even professionals, so that's that can be fine. Uh, but oftentimes, especially names that aren't as strong from a business perspective, you were probably wrong, right? Their business may be up and down, and you picked the wrong time to get in. And so throwing good money after bad is usually a bad idea. But going back to... First principles is owning good companies, allocating to good companies with good business models at reasonable prices. That's really what you should be focusing on in general. And Apple is obviously one of those names. Great business, great company. It's going to ebb and flow between being over and undervalued. But over the long term, as long as their stranglehold on the smartphone market is maintained, they're going to do fairly well. So... It really comes down to the actual company you're talking about. And in Apple's case, averaging down, probably a good thing. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you 888 chart. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions. 
You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, Steve or Justin. Uh, this is Craig in the uh, mountains outside Seattle. Got a diversification question, but it's within an asset class. So I use the strategy pretty much across my brokerage account. So just as an example, if I wanted 20% of my portfolio or of my brokerage account to be small cap value, and I've got IJS and AVUV, similar expense ratio, good performing funds, respectively, there's a 26% overlap in holdings from the IJS side and a 40% from the ABUV, which feels like it gives me a lot more diversification in that small cap value realm. But the question is, am I overcomplicating it? Is the diversification worth it? Or would you just pick your favorite one and have that represent the whole asset class? I'm in the same situation with large cap value and my internationals. And, uh, you know, a couple other things, and that's just a strategy I've employed uh, where there's a relatively low overlap, but more diversification. Just curious your thoughts. I tend to lean value, very aggressive portfolios worth about a million at this point. And so it's a relatively small part of it, but I'm far heavier in large and small cap value, both U.S. and international uh, than anything else. Hearing your thoughts on that strategy and uh, if I'm just overcomplicating it or if it makes sense. Thanks so much. Love the show. Look forward to hearing from you on the, on the uh, podcast. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Now looking at two small cap value ETFs, and I have no problem with that. Uh, both of these ETFs, AVUV and the IJS, they are small cap value, but both of them are good funds, both four out of five stars and Morningstar, both bronze rated. So they're good funds, and because they're small cap value, right, they're going to have some overlap there. And it's not clear which one is truly the better one to hold long term. So you're kind of hedging your bets here. You're, you're saying, okay, I'm not going to try to pick kind of the, like the main focus point, which is I'm not going to focus on picking the perfect one, but I want to have uh, this percentage allocation to small cap value. And so I'm going to spread it among you know, two or maybe three different choices that I think are all very good uh, and not put all my bags, eggs in that one basket. Uh, this fund is probably a little bit better, so I'm just going to put all in that particular fund. I don't mind uh, having that, and you're going to have, like you said, some, some overlap there, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, um, yeah, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of options out there, from individual stocks to uh, to mutual funds and ETFs, there's just a, a lot of a lot of options. And despite what many will say, you know, there's a lot of good active options, right? That are that allocate capital well long term, especially these smaller cap funds. And so when you have multiple good options spreading in amongst multiple good options means you'll probably come out not perfect, but in good shape. And as our main focus point today said, that's the main goal. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to unbiased guidance 
They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. The Invest Talk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve. Nick from New York. Uh, love your show. Just a, uh, I guess, kind of a financial question for you. I recently purchased a car. Uh, love the car. Unfortunately, very high interest rate, 8.4% probably owe about $36,000 on the car, sitting on about maybe $75,000. I uh, kind of wanted to use that money on the next year and a half to buy a piece of property with my father. Well, I'm not sure if it's going to be a vacation home or an investment property, but you know, it's kind of our dream to do it together. My question to you is, is uh, would it better serve me to uh, pay off my car loan first at 8% interest? I'm kind of thinking that it probably would be. Or do you think that I kind of keep my cash freed up uh, so that I would be able to uh, make that purchase? Thanks for your help, and uh, look forward to answering the show. Thanks. I would easily pay off the car. Eight eight percent. You're basically guaranteeing yourself that yield on that money over that time period, and you can free up whatever that car payment would be, and and try to try to save uh, and continue to save to buy a property with 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 your father. And you know we're in probably year two of three, four, five year correction in property prices more generally. And so you can be patient. You're not, it's not like you're missing out on the market uh, really running away from you to the upside. Uh, it's, it's, it's a market that will you know, kind of have its fits and starts. You saw that last year where uh, really activity declined dramatically throughout the summer, uh, perked up a little bit late last year and into the beginning of this year. And now it's kind of rolling over uh, again because uh, interest rates are, are back up. So I don't think you need to be in a quick hurry to buy a property and I wouldn't sit there and wait and pay 8% while you're, or while you're waiting. Uh, I wouldn't pay 8% on that car loan. So yeah, I would make a, it would make sense for you to uh, really pay that off. Now is a good time to call InvestTalk. A warrant is a right to buy shares of stocks at a certain price. What's your question? Would you recommend to put all my funds right away in the market or you recommend dollar cost average got a question for steve or justin 888-99-CHART you're listening to an encore presentation of invest talk please call with your questions and comments though 888-99-CHART 888-99-CHART and steve will answer them on the next invest talk hello i'm a 58 year old and I have um, a question. I probably won't be retiring until the age of 65, maybe 67. And in my employer, I have an option for 401k and 401k Roth. At what point do I kind of like migrate all my contributions over to the 401k Roth versus you know, getting the pre-tax dollars? It would seem to make sense that Roth might be a better choice. Thank you. Bye. Well, the way to always think about Roth versus IRA or traditional IRA, or in this case, Roth 401k versus traditional 401k is always your tax rate today versus what you expect it to be in the future. So 
this is why typically younger people uh, should invest in a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k because they are not getting a great tax write-off. They're not in high tax brackets. So whatever they put in isn't a, a great benefit to them today anyway. Now, others who might be in a relatively high tax bracket, they might want that tax write-off and they will take the money out in the future when they're no longer working, when they're retired and now they're in a lower tax bracket and locking in that lower tax rate, uh, rate when they do take the money out of the traditional IRA. So it's all about the tax rate that you're at today versus what is expected in the future. And that's how you think about it. It's, it's pretty simple, but it's also not an easy answer for everybody, you know, especially those that are in a middling tax bracket. I always say if you're on the fence and you're able to put money into a Roth IRA, because remember, there are Roth contribution limits some point, so you can't have income, you can't put money into a Roth IRA. And so if you're eligible and it's kind of on the fence, you're in a middling tax bracket, maybe a 22, 24% tax bracket, I go Roth IRA or Roth 401k. Just because you're able to get total amount more, uh, you know, tax deferred, you never have to pay taxes on it again. It becomes a nice savings account for you. Uh, if you ever want to take money out, especially a Roth uh, IRA, remember you can always take out the contributions to a Roth IRA without any penalty, not the growth, but the contributions. So that's always nice. So that's the way to think about Roth versus traditional IRA or 401k. Hi, this is Randy from snowy Minnesota. Wondering with like a, a brokerage firm of TD Ameritrade or Schwab or any of those, and they say there's no fees, to buy and sell stocks. How do they make their money? I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, first off, cash. They do make a lot of money on the cash that you're holding. Uh, there are fees to wire funds and things like that that they'll, they'll charge. Uh, but a lot of it is, there, there is a good amount that has to do with uh, the Trading, uh, that's why you probably don't want to use market orders. You probably want to use limit orders. That is going to help uh, limit your, your costs uh, there that are kind of unseen. Another SEC is trying to instill a little bit more transparency in how these companies make money. And uh, for small traders, you know, it's kind of worth it, better than paying five, seven, ten dollars in commissions. Um, but understand that they are making or selling their order flow uh, to companies like Citadel. And there's there's some issues with that that I, I think the, the SEC is going to clear up over time. Um, it'll, it'll impact probably their business. Um, so, But they do make money in other ways. Like I said, uh, they take their cash, they invest it, they may pay you a, a lower rate than what they're, they're getting uh, on that cash, et cetera. So uh, that's a big reason why, uh, that's a big way that they make money. Right. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. 
This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com or reach out to Steve Peasley and Justin Klein by emailing or calling their Irvine, California office. The InvestTalk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with questions, 888-99-CHART. Hello, Stephen Justin. This is Paul from Germany. Congratulations to your 50 million subscribers. First of all, I'm very happy for you guys, and I'm very thankful, and I appreciate the work you guys do. So my question today is about corporate bonds. I would like to apply this question on Microsoft specifically. Um, The stock makes around 6% of my portfolio, and it pays a uh, dividend of a little over 8%, and it's up like 50% since I bought it. So the question is, like, would it make sense to take some profits and reinvest it in the bond of the same company? I saw one expiring in uh, March 6 in 2027, yielding 3.3%. My question is basically, how does it work? Do I get the annualized yield plus my invested capital back, or does that depend on the share price at the moment I sell? My assumption is that tech stocks won't overperform the coming years, considering the midterm market environment, and that's why I'm looking for a way to maximize my cash flow. And uh, I hope my question is not too complicated and can be answered on the podcast. I'll be looking forward to hearing the answer, and thank you guys for all your help, and congrats once again also for the community you guys built. This is the number one platform for me when it comes to investing. Thank you. Bye-bye. I appreciate those kind of words. And you're looking at Microsoft. You're, you're up pretty decently, it looks like. I wasn't quite clear on how you're, you're calculating this. But you know, I think the main question is, should you sell out some of your Microsoft stock? Is uh, the bonds a better buy right now? Well, you're looking at the 2027 bonds yielding about 4.6%. Not great. You know, I think there's better opportunities in the corporate bond market than that. Uh, you can get a six-month treasury and get 5%, right? So I don't love that. I don't love that, that alternative. You know, I would say I, would, I do think it's a time to reduce your position in Microsoft. I'm, I'm kind of somewhat down as I am on a lot of the large cap tech space, especially the, the tech software companies that are tied to businesses who are laying off. A lot of tech workers that use Microsoft products, for example. So I would be trying to lighten your load of and your exposure to to uh, to Microsoft, but I wouldn't necessarily just go to the bonds. Um, and what you're going to look at is not just the 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 coupon rate, because the coupon rate can be very different between different bonds that you're looking at, even different bond issues of the same company. Right, where Microsoft, that one you're talking about, is a coupon rate of three point three percent. But if you look at something like the ones that mature in August of this year, the coupon's 2%. And that yields maturity is about 6.5%. So very different there. So you want to look at total yield. Yield to worst is what you're going to look at, look, want to look at in the corporate bond space. Let's go to Dan in Concord. He wants to talk about gold stocks. 
Hi, uh, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, um, yeah, I was calling about both um, gold and oil. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a couple of positions in, in each, and I was wondering if this is a good time to add on. Yeah, we actually added on uh, some some of the, the gold names in our portfolios today in a nice uh, bullish day off some major support. So we, we like that space uh, overall. Uh, we don't think rates are, are really going to break out. You had rates come in a little bit today and reverse really from the highs. So that's always a, a tailwind for gold prices. The, the dollar was strong, even, but the gold was actually up on the day. So uh, that was a nice little... Uh, uh, nice little change of scenery after this recent pullback. Overall, the, the technicals on the, the miners remain remain fine. Uh, obviously, a strong pullback over the past couple of uh, about past month or so, uh, but nothing has changed that uptrend uh, that uh, remains since the lows back in September. So we still like those. Uh, the energy space that's been a bit more volatile, uh, and you know, but but overall an uptrend. So I, I think I'm fine with with both. I'd be buying them on dips great thanks very much for your help no problem do you have questions about fdic security mortgages money market funds losses to your retirement plans give us a call today 888-99-CHART yes this is kevin white from the bay area i had a question for justin i wanted to know well i wanted you to weigh in on s blocks securities backed lines of credit and i wanted to know if there were any strategies for or any benefits in using s blocks before you die i've never thought about that <laughs> uh it's a bit morbid um but i'm sure you still have to pay the money back right because these are securities based lines of credit where you're taking your investment portfolio and barring against it you're basically taking out margin a margin loan and instead of buying more stock, you go buy something else. You go buy, you go live your life. Uh, You go buy a a piece of property, whatever. Um, The issue though is if there are volatility in your portfolio, you could get margin called just like you can in in, in your normal portfolio, right? You can get forced to sell uh, those positions at a bad time when the market's down, for example. Um, But this is something... That is kind of a corollary to buy, borrow, die, right? Where instead of selling your positions, and and this may be what you're talking about, instead of and, and a lot of the uber wealthy do this. Elon does this all the time, where he's instead of selling his Tesla stock, although he did a lot last year to finance his Twitter acquisition, etc., he would just borrow against it because when you sell the stock, you are triggering a capital gains, especially if you've you, you founded it, uh, the company, or you were an early investor uh, like uh, like Elon was in Tesla, your cost base is very low and you go sell it, that triggers a huge capital gains uh, tax. But instead, you borrow against it, pay a low percentage, 3 4%, and you go and use that money for whatever you want. And you aren't triggering that capital gains. And then when you die, you have that stepped-up basis where your heirs are get the value when you die, right? Or the, the, the cost basis when you die. So that's kind of the buy, borrow, die, or found a company and borrow against the stock and then uh, eventually die and pass that on to your kids or your next of kin. So that maybe is what you're talking about. 
It's usually for the uber wealthy where you have, you know, millions and millions of dollars to borrow against. Um, but uh, interesting, but there are, there are risks with it. And you are paying interest. You're not paying the government. You are paying interest. Hi there, guys. Hey, I had a question about kind of about uh, what Justin was talking about yesterday about the stock buybacks. Is it do companies own can they own their own shares of stock? And then because I was under the impression that stock buybacks were like removing the total number of shares out there, which made the each share more valuable. So I just wonder if I could get clarification on that, but really appreciate the program. Thanks guys. Bye-bye. The answer is yes, you can, the companies, that's what stock buybacks are. They buy their own shares uh, in the, in the open market. And when you're reporting things like earnings per share, the number of shares that you're dividing the earnings by goes down and that actually creates looks at least the perception of, uh, of earnings growth. Uh, and sometimes that's a good use of capital for, companies and companies do that consistently over time. Others also do that at bad times when times are good and the stock's really expensive. We see that happen a lot. So it's really timing is certainly important and what value they're, they're, they're paying for it. Uh, but they, once again, they, they can buy back their shares uh, whenever they want. It's the opposite of issuing shares, right? When company issues more shares, it's diluting shareholders. It's making each share less valuable because there's more shares outstanding. And the vice versa, when you buy back shares, it makes each individual share a little bit more valuable because it's uh, one of a, a smaller amount. Uh, so it makes them less uh, or more rare. Uh, so that's how stock buybacks uh, particularly work. Thanks for the call. Hi, Dunk from New York. First off, I would like to thank the caller from last week who asked about brokerage CDs. I was actually able to find one on Fidelity that was offering a 4.65 yield compared to my savings rate on Capital One, which was only 3.5%. So thank you, Invest Talk, for having uh, or allowing us to figure out these uh, answers. So anyways, with that being said, I am currently in a situation where I'm starting to shift my capital towards fixed income, savings account, and very less risky assets. I actually moved some money to the Fidelity SPACs that gets a higher yield. So thank you, Invest Talk, for letting me look into that as well. I am about to pay off a condo in July, and I actually have some stocks I would like to sell and kind of give me more cash for my down payment. But my two-part question is, one, I have stocks in all sectors right now to obviously diversify. Which sectors in the next three months should I consider to, to trim besides tech? And I appreciate all of your guidance. Have a great day. Bye. Well, if you just go to what we discussed before, the sectors that are going to struggle in an inflationary environment that uh, tend to be more like bond proxies, that's where you want to trim first. And that would be the defensive sectors, right? Your consumer staples, consumer defensives, as well as healthcare and utilities. So those are the, the first three right off uh, the bat. Um, and then probably from there, consumer cyclicals, that's one where if the economy continues to slow, those companies are, are going to continue to struggle. So I think that's a those are good places to, to think about uh, trimming thanks for the call now if you have a question about a stock or an ira college savings plan well maybe buying a house mortgages reverse mortgages we're here for you 888-99 chart 888-992-4278 
You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's grab another caller question now at 888 99CHART. Hi, Stephen, Justin. I have a question regarding T bills. I was looking at the 26 week T bill that is earning almost 5% and was looking to put that in to my retirement account. And one option they offer is if I want to reinvest, but I plan to use the interest later on that it earns for income. I'm not in a high bracket. So just wondering, how do you know if it would be good to reinvest or just wait till it matures and invest in another term? I'll be listening to the answer on your show. Thank you. Well, I definitely wouldn't reinvest and make that decision today. You can go buy it and you get your money after the six months and you go reinvest it if you want to or you go do something else with it. So there's no real upside. You're not losing out on anything um, to reinvest because they're going to reinvest it at whatever rate is at that time. So, you know, it could shift. You can see the six-month T-bill in six months at 3%, right, if the Fed starts an easing cycle, for example, by the fourth quarter. So they are fairly attractive at that 5% rate, no credit risk. But no, after six months, that could change. So there's no reason to uh, sit there and reinvest the capital when you don't know what rate you're going to get in six months. Thanks for the call. Hi, I had a 401k from a previous employer that was automatically rolled over into an IRA. It's just in cash currently. And uh, I'd like to move that over to a Schwab or a TD Ameritrade or something and just get a little experience day trading with that money if possible. I've been playing with a little of my personal money in Robinhood accounts. I don't play with my 401k at all. I don't touch that at all. I max out the contribution. Is it possible to day trade with money that was formerly in a 401k? And am I going about this the right way to get experience? I'd love to hear your answer on the show. Thank you. Well, there are sometimes rules around day trading in an IRA, especially if they're under $25,000. So typically look into that with what the uh, the broker's rules are on it. I definitely would move your money away from Robinhood. I don't think anybody should have uh, their money in Robinhood anymore, especially with Schwab, TD, E-Trade, Fidelity, all having commission-free trading. So I would try to consolidate your IRA and brokerage account into to one firm. We use TD Ameritrade, but uh, they're all... Uh, pretty good. Definitely make sure they're all civic insured and big. So definitely go uh, uh, with that route. Uh, Now day trading, 99 out of 100 people who day trade fail. So your odds of of failure are very, very high. Uh, If you're going to day trade, uh, start with paper trading. Start making you know real live decisions. Don't look backwards and say, well, what if I did this? Say, okay, I'm going to to say, I'm going to pull the trigger right now. If I did that, my fill would probably be this. Put that down in a spreadsheet and then start paper trading. Okay, I would, pro- I would get out here. Put that down. And be honest with yourself as well. Be very, very honest with yourself. And there are actually even uh, paper trading programs out there that you can use. So paper trade first. Find a strategy that you find work works week after week, and frankly, month after month. I would, day, I would paper trade for six months before you do any type of day trading.
Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Josh from California. How are you guys doing today? I have a quick question involving options. I've been paper trading on my TD Ameritrade account options just to get a feel of it. But one thing they keep reminding me is risk of dividends. What would that mean for a long call for me? Do I owe money or is that reduced from the uh, value? Just curious. Thank you. Have a good one. Look forward to the answers. Bye. Well, div- what dividends can do is they can trigger it's a, it's a triggering potential triggering event, right? Triggering the option before it's actually expired, right? So, for example, I'll give you an example in the strategy that we deploy for clients, the covered call strategy. And every one of the positions in there pays some sort of a dividend. Maybe a small dividend, maybe a large dividend, doesn't matter. We buy a stock, let's say at $45 a share, and we'll sell a call. Let's use the example, $50 strike. And between the time we buy it and the next dividend date or the, the expiration of the option, the stock goes above 50, right? And now the ex-dividend date's coming up. If I'm the owner, the other side, right, somebody who bought that option, and you want to get the dividend, you're gonna need to execute the option, right? You need to go buy it at 50. Let's say it's at 55 now. You need to go buy it at 50 in order to get that dividend. Otherwise, we get it, right? We're owning the underlying, or our clients are owning the underlying, and they're gonna get that dividend unless the option holder triggers the option. So that's how X dividend dates can trigger an event before the actual option expires. So I hope that kind of helped that with that small example there. That was just one example of how dividends can play into an option strategy. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.